0: This is Gino Ray. I'm sitting here with Cheveo. Che, can you tell everybody uh, your name is Che and welcome to Native As I Can Be. Thank you. Let's start the show. Hello, hello, and welcome to Native as I can be uh Between Two Cultures. I am your host, Gino F and Ray. Um uh, gonna be doing something a little different today. Uh, if you're hearing this intro, that means that you are listening to the non-live version of the show. Um, I'm recording an intro for the show, and then in about 10 minutes I'm going on Facebook Live uh, and recording off the cuff. So we'll see how that goes. I'm not sure if it's even going to work, if there's going to be audio or anything. I haven't even tried it, so we'll see. Um, But I am going to give it a shot, and this topic is, of course, uh, cultural appropriation Um, which you have probably guessed since you clicked on the episode and that was the title. So, uh, yeah, just to kind of catch people up, um, yeah, the episodes are few and far between. Um, it's very difficult with kids and life and jobs and even during this coronavirus when I'm actually home more. Uh and actually spending more time with the kids, which is awesome, but, uh, harder to, uh, sit down and do something like this, uh, but we're doing okay here, uh, during coronavirus times, and we are in a very lucky position where we are both still working and still getting to spend time with kids, and so we're collecting checks and we're actually doing okay. We're doing better than a lot of people, and um we're very fortunate um that it worked out like that. Um, this is uh one of those weird well, it's that weird week that I have where you know on april twenty fourth I have bam's birthday and april twenty fifth is Laura's birthday and uh that's always a weird mix um, cause those two people Bams and her uh, have had two of the biggest impacts on my life and, and that's not a knock on anybody or any situation but I mean Bams being my first kid and really falling in love with him and falling in love with being a dad and, uh, that carrying over to, you know, Che now and McCunny but, and Laura, who, you know, came to my rescue after I lost BAMS, and really saving my life, and I'm not exaggerating, that's not even hyperbole, that's the truth of the matter, was that I was waiting to die, and it was taking forever, um, but she stuck by my side and uh, helped me get on my feet. And now, now we are where we are, which is, you know, this house in the neighborhood, with the kids and the cars, and the, you know, cooking, cooking dinner every night and eating at the table and talking to. M- I mean, it's it's amazing. This is. Um, that this is where I ended up if you were to look at where I was four years ago um, three years ago whatever it was so having their birthdays back to back and one being a sad reminder and one being a happy reminder um, it's it's very uh, it's just kind of turbulent I think is the only way I can Put it. Um, and I have and I, said this before, but it gets a little easier every year for Bam's birthday. And uh, sometimes I feel guilty about that. Like, like, I don't love him like I used to, or uh, maybe I'm uh, over it, or, you know. But I don't think either of those are true. Um, I think you know, time heals, and it still makes me sad, and I still watch the videos I made of him, and just think about it being his birthday, you know, and it chokes me up, it's sad, you know, and um, and just thinking about like where he would fit in in this family I have now, and uh, just how well he would do, because we're all so tight with each other, and Warm and you know, we really have a good unit and we communicate well and we help each other out and we we hold each other accountable too. But, um, so yeah, it's just kind of sad that he's kind of missing all this, but uh, I also think he's right here with us. And uh, I posted on Facebook the other day, I was holding a uh, picture. I was holding a photo album with pictures of BAMs in it, and I was showing it to Che, and Chae had never seen it before, and, uh, and, and he likes to, you know, we got pictures hanging in the hallway, and he likes to go and point at the pictures, and point to the person in the picture, and, um, it's one of the things he likes to do, so, um, so, like the picture of McCunny on the wall, he points to McCunny Or he points to McCunny's room, or, you know, whatever. Uh, so, but I was, uh, I pulled out this photo album with bands in it, and showed it to him. I, I opened it and showed it to him, and he immediately pointed straight up. And that was, uh, that was, that, hit me right in the chest and I just I mean I almost started crying right then and then I uh, so I thought well no yeah, I mean that's that could be anything fluke. so I turned to a different picture and in a different part of the book again one that he'd never seen and I had told Laura what he did and so I turned to that picture to see if he'd do it again and he did it again he pointed to the picture. He he pointed straight up. Um, so to me, that was all I needed to, to know that Gams is here with us, and that uh, Che has a you know little guardian angel that happens to be his brother, and uh, also his grandpa. Like Che's really into planes right now, and. and if we're walking or out in the yard or something he sees a plane he has to stop what he is doing to look at the look at the plane point at the plane and wave at it and his uh grandpa on Laura's side used to fly planes so it's just one of those things like could mean nothing could but it could mean everything so I like to believe, and it makes me feel better to believe that it means something. So, um, yeah. So that's kind of what's going on this week, and um, we are enjoying the nice weather and um, enjoying the time we're getting to spend with each other. And in and, and honestly, because you know, Laura's going to work a couple days a week, sometimes three. And I'm working half days. Like it's good that we're here and spending all this time with each other. And I think it's good to get to step out for a little bit, if, if you don't mind me saying. Um, and, and I feel for those people that got laid off and not only having money issues if they are, but you know having nowhere to go for a few hours. And uh, I feel for you, but. Uh, so, yeah, that's the coronavirus update, and I, I think I'm going to hop off now and go over to Facebook Live and start recording this episode. So, uh, if you are uh, not listening to this live, welcome. Thank you for coming, and then uh, I don't know what's going to happen after this. I may be on the I may be recording this by myself, or I may have some people call in, surprisingly, but we'll see. Um, Thank you for listening. Thanks for being on this journey with me. This is Native As I Can Be. My name is Gino Ray. Let's go. So this episode is going to be about cultural appropriation which is one of my favorite uh things to talk about because i think it is a overlooked uh element of uh what's up Jeremy Lewis uh overlooked uh aspect of uh racism classism whatever you want to call it uh so i will give you the definition that I found um, of cultural appropriation which is uh, the act of adopting elements of an outside often minority culture including knowledge practices and symbols without understanding or respecting the original culture or context Uh, it often occurs without understanding of tradition or significance of the objects or the activities and often turning them into uh, meaningless pop culture um, so that's uh that's one of the ideas behind it i guess um who this is hard <laughs> it's hard to have notes over there trying to read the notes without just staring down at the notes. Um, So cultural appropriation, one of of the things that I see appropriated from native culture is the dream catcher in the window, the rear view view mirror, I should say. And uh, the kind of general idea behind a dream catcher is you hang it by your window or an entrance to your house and it's intended to keep the evil spirits out of out of your house out of your room and the ones that invade your mind and make you have bad dreams that's the idea it's to protect you while you're sleeping from uh evil entities being um whatever so to have a dream catcher hanging from the rear view mirror of your car only makes sense if you are in fact sleeping in your car. But you see them all the time, and and I see them at uh, in some kind of non. This is an assumption on my part, but maybe some non-native uh, looking people's car. So. That's that's an easy example. Um, I think um, I want to talk about music. I think music is a good, maybe the best example of cultural appropriation. And when you're talking about music, the names that always come to mind, as far as cult, uh, white men, white people. Appropriating black music, I would have to say Elvis probably number one, uh, Vanilla Ice number two, and then Eminem, which is that's the the tricky one to me. But let me tell you some stuff about some stuff I read about Elvis here. So uh, in the Chicago Defender back in the day, they said of Elvis. Um, Chuck Berry was the, two, the true king of rock and roll. Uh, had Berry been white, he could have just as easily taken Elvis's throne and worn his crown well. And, and I think they're saying there that, you know, Chuck Berry was doing everything that Elvis did and he was doing it ten years earlier. But because Elvis is white, and uh, that makes him a little more palatable to... Uh, Wide audiences, and especially back when they were still doing segregated, um, you know, dance halls and facilities like that, and you know, it was hard, it wouldn't have been easy for someone like Chuck Berry to play his music for wide audiences. Um, something interesting about that is James Brown, the godfather of soul, said, uh, talking about elvis i wasn't just a fan i was his brother there'll never be another like that soul brother he called elvis a soul brother that's james brown that's the authority on soul music if you ask me and funk um but there's a lot of funk authorities george clinton bootsy all those guys um and uh here's what elvis himself had to say about it a lot of people seem to think i started this business but rock and roll was here a long time before i came along nobody could sing that kind of music like or no one could sing that kind of music like colored people let's face it i can't sing like Fats domino i know that so there you have a quote from the king saying that he did not invent this genre of music or that or um even that he perfected it he's saying right here that he kind of came along and and got on board but he still couldn't sing like a fats domino but fats domino is one of the artists that was definitely harmed or uh, i don't know displaced maybe is a better way to put it but you know at the height of elvis's career he was making two million a year which I don't know what that would be in today's numbers, but back then that was a lot. And at the height of Bats Domino's career, he was making $700,000. So, um, you know, can you say one of those guys is better or worse than the other one, or that the other one was um, just more widely accepted? I don't know. The next uh, next topic is everyone's favorite, Mr. Vanilla Ice, maybe, but, uh, yeah, Vanilla Ice, um, a cultural appropriator, if there ever was one, this is my opinion, Vanilla Ice came out, did hip-hop music, and he, um, tried to adapt, or adopt, I should say, mannerisms, or slang, or attitude, Of hip-hop musicians at the time to appeal to a broader audience and he sold a billion records when uh, To The Extreme came out and and I remember when that album came out and I was a little into hip-hop already not not as deep as I would get but I had already heard some like some Tribe Called Quest and de la soul and too short even and i i didn't get vanilla ice and what came about later was this fabrication of you know he went to the same school as luke his uncle luke and uh that his mom taught at some university that you know just a bunch of bullshit that came out and uh, i mean it was a very clear cash in in my opinion and so then once he's kind of outed he goes back sort of underground and then comes back with dreadlocks like seriously dude dreadlocks come on you've already got a reputation and you don't have respect from the hip-hop community or anybody really maybe and then you you want to you tell people that you're not a cul- you're not uh, appropriating the culture, and then you come back with dreadlocks. Oh, no, 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 that was uh, that was uh, misguided. But it, I, I guess if you ask him, he did not. Uh, uh, the the whole um, made up backstory and all that stuff was not his idea. Uh, it was done without his permission, uh, from what I hear or what I read and then there's eminem eminem i'm a fan of and here is where i struggle with the cultural appropriation thing when it comes to eminem uh i he i he has a couple lines in a couple of his songs where uh he said uh he says something about uh doing black music so selfishly and use it to get myself wealthy and that's not really an apology that's more of a acknowledgement And he he has another line where he says if I was black I wouldn't have sold half I didn't have to graduate from high school to know that Um, so you know he seems to be aware of what he's doing uh, but is still uh, making money off of it but here's the reason why I, I like Eminem, and I think Vanilla, ha- uh, Vanilla Ice is trash, uh, because um, I think if Eminem had never sold an album, I think he would still be making hip hop music. I think that he appreciated the music and the culture, and before he ever tried to do it on his own, um, or make his own, I should say. and So to me, you know, Eminem is, he's, he's complicated. It's just complicated. Um, I think when he, when he first kind of blew up, maybe the way he dressed was a little bit appropriating, but I don't know, man. Here's the thing about hip hop. I think hip hop, maybe more so than any, than any music is uh universally accepted. And here's what I mean by that. So you can look at rock music, rock and roll music and uh you know, it was started by African Americans. It came from blues music, which came from which came from gospel, etc, etcetera, etcetera. But today's rock and roll is mostly done by caucasian musicians for a caucasian audience and i know somebody wants to jump in quick and say well what about so and so what about so and so i'm speaking in generalities here rock music is mostly done by white musicians and i would say mostly for white crowds they know uh, their their crowd is going to mostly be white and if you want to get into these subgenres of rock and roll um, i would i think that's going to be it's that's going to be the same uh statement country music which you could also say evolved from blues or gospel uh is the same story it's mostly white musicians making music are mostly white people and I'm sure there's exceptions I don't listen to a lot of country so maybe I shouldn't even be commenting on it but uh, the country that I do listen to which is Hank Senior and Johnny Cash Hank Jr. Uh, Waylon Merle uh, those are all white guys so I don't know so anyways what I'm what I'm driving at here is that that genre of music is mostly white music for mostly white people hip hop music started in the bronx in poor neighborhoods who were using two turntables to do the block party and basically play the break from a song continuously because that's the part everybody wanted to dance to but it was in predominantly black neighborhoods for predominantly black audiences now i really feel like hip-hop is the most accepted uh maybe not most accepted but is the most widely listened to form of music across uh all ethnicities and Uh, I think it's just become this universal form of music that everybody can get into. And um, it's done by black people and white people. It's still mostly black people, but I don't think that either black or white audiences are trying to appeal to just black or white audiences. Um, And that's what makes it so universal to me. But I think it just... Uh, illustrates the difference between other forms of music that it is widely accepted and by all ethnicities you know and I'm not trying to say that rock music are only rock musicians are only trying to make music for white people but I think that's mainly their audience So, but again speaking in generalities and um, there's always exceptions but that's just how I see things and so how does that fit into appropriation? I'm not sure. But I still think you know, it's mostly black music made for everybody, I guess. The other guy I wanted to talk about was uh, Post Malone. Post Malone, um, very successful right now. And uh, he actually recently tried to did well, not recently, a few years ago tried to distance himself from hip-hop music he did not want to be labeled as a hip-hop musician or uh his music to be labeled hip-hop or rap and the interesting thing to me is his music is hip-hop music i mean he can call it whatever he wants but it is hip-hop it has a hip-hop vibe it sounds like hip-hop music and the dude raps so I don't really know why he was distancing himself from it and to me that's a little more unsettling that he wants to make a uh, predominantly black form of music but he doesn't want it to be called that form of you know, and I might have, I don't know, maybe I was taking that all wrong, it was just in an article I read, uh, in GQ, and, because uh, nobody's more GQ than me, um, but that seemed a little bit like appropriation to say that you, uh, you don't want to be labeled as this form of music that, uh, is clearly the form of music that you're doing, so, uh, yeah I don't know what to make of that um, there's a lot of little examples that come up as cultural appropriation um, if you've seen the Disney movie Moana or Moana shortly after that movie came out there was uh, they were selling uh, Moana costumes and of the guy Maui and of her and that caused a little bit of a dust up because they were taking on kind of uh, you know, aspects of Polynesian culture, which was the tattoos or the style of dress and you know Polynesian people took exception to it, like we're not a costume. Like that's what they were saying. These tattoos mean something in our in our culture and our community and they're not a gimmick. And um, and I think they have a point um, it, it's the same as uh, you know if you wore one of those pointy straw hats uh, you know that they used to see used to see Chinese people wearing I mean there's just a lot of ways you could do it and I get people that are, that say things like aren't we all just getting a little too sensitive and getting offended by everything well i think that you have to respect everyone's culture and i don't think anybody wants something that they take pride in in their background to be diminished to into a prop so um i, I get it it is you know like if you're uh, i mean everybody knows the tomahawk chop you know that hoo, 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 I can't really do it, but to me, that is a form of appropriation when you have a group of several thousand people and they are doing a kind of mock Native American war song you know, using it using their hand like a tomahawk you know come on and people don't get why that would bother somebody like i i just i don't know man I, I didn't realize how much how just how much that kind of stuff was going on and i went to a school called the braves Reeseport braves and they did that at the games and i was a kid and i would be doing i'd be sitting right there doing this chop so i guess maybe Being the native in the crowd, maybe I brought a little bit of authenticity to it, maybe. Um, Here's a quote about black music. Sorry, I meant to read this earlier. Uh, uh, For centuries, black music was caged in bondage. and has been the sound of complete artistic freedom. No wonder everybody is always stealing it. That's heavy stuff, man. I'm going to say this doing this live without someone to talk to while I'm trying to stay on camera and talk near the mic and read my notes over here which I'm holding far away because I don't want rustling on the audio is uh, this is challenging. I don't know if I will do this again. At least maybe uh, not as kind of spur of the moment as I'm doing right now, which was getting home from work and then recording a podcast. We'll see. I don't know. If it gets a good response, maybe I'll, maybe I'll do it again. But another uh, place you see cultural appropriation is often in fashion industry. And, you know, there was a thing a couple of years ago where they had uh, Victoria's Secret models walking down the the catwalk wearing headdresses um, and of course that was uh, a big no-no and they the, you know the thing that you hear the most or at least you hear often is um, that they're honoring the culture by throwing a headdress on a Victoria's Secret model or having them dressed up in geishas or mm-hmm. uh, uh, putting them in dreadlocks that they've done that uh, their, their their defense is, is that they're honoring the culture and i don't think i can agree with that uh not unless you had native models doing it or asian models doing geisha outfits but i just don't see how turning it into a costume or a prop or a device to to sell clothes i don't see how that honors anybody's culture that is a uh, that is a tired excuse uh, in my opinion but uh, Mark Jacobs who is one of the he had the white models in the dreadlocks he said funny how you don't criticize women of color for straightening their hair oh boy I, I don't think that's the same thing but I, uh, I'm not a fashion expert. Another, uh, one I read was, um, What would America be like if we loved black people as much as we love black culture? And, to me, that's another profound statement. And for those of you that have seen the movie Get Out, um, that's what that movie largely deals with, is, looks at race and looks at, Uh, the physical uh, attributes of black people and uh, compared to white people I don't want to give it away but if you haven't seen it you should definitely go see it it's that good and it's not a it's scary but it's not a horror movie by any means so uh, I don't think that racism is as in your face as it used to be well maybe it is Uh, i mean there's not lynchings going on but i still think there's a pretty good divide between african-american people or people of color and certain types of uh, let's call them those separatists i think that's what they like to be called These white separatists but um... I still think that uh, racism is a system that's still in place and it's to, to take privilege and power from from brown people. And you might think that's extreme but I think it is it's just an old system that it is taking a while to get out of. And I don't know how you do it but you know it was a very real thing and it was a very real system back in the day and i think the remnants of it and the hangover from it is still being felt um, but you are starting to see see more brown people in in high positions and getting to the top and it's crazy that it's 2020 and we still see articles about the first african you know first african-american this the first african-american that the first african-american to do this crazy task and that it's 2020 and we're just getting to that stage and then i see stuff like uh you know comment section are the worst (laughs) the worst thing ever if you want to if you want to get a glimpse of why there is a divide in this country or why people feel there is a divide in this country go look at the comment section I mean that place is pure hate and ignorance and stupidity and so so if you see an article like there was a I don't remember the woman's name but she was hired by the 49ers and she was one of the, the first I think uh, I should have wrote this down. But she's one of the first type of coach in the National Football League. She's an African-American, and she's the first ever, you know, wide receiver coach or whatever it was. To me, that's an accomplishment. But, of course, the comments are like, she doesn't deserve to be there. She did What's she ever done? Why does it got to be about her being black? Blah, 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 blah. And the point of mentioning all those things. Is because she is now in. She's going down in history as. The first. And it's 2020. And that's how long it took. To get a African American. Or a woman in that position. That's why it's notable. That's why it's supposed to be. That's why they uh, announced it. It's not for publicity. It's like well okay maybe a little bit for publicity but that's the country though and people i don't know why people are still so bothered by that kind of thing and it's because of this hangover from this really fucked up system that this country used to be ran on and uh i i I know there's people out there that wish it had never changed but yeah i don't know man it's a a very tricky thing this cultural appropriation and uh there's not really any uh answers but it's you know two groups that aren't on a level playing field and one culture taking from the other one and getting nothing giving nothing in return um and that's a problem and it's cherry-picking the things that you uh, admire from culture or respect or think is cool and kind of uh, uh, minimize them uh, from the significance they have in the culture and one of the things that was brought up was uh, Laura brought this up she was asking me if I thought yoga and yoga teachers were uh is is cultural appropriation and i I don't know much about yoga I don't know the origi- origins of it, but I think that that could easily be seen that way because of i'm sure if you went back to, to to the origin of yoga and traced it up to where we are now, I don't think that it was ever meant to be taught at some strip mall and by a a white person for an all-white crowd and i'm not saying i'm not saying that somebody that when they came up with yoga they were like don't show white people but i i think if you looked at what what yoga was intended to be i think that i don't know that making money was one of the things involved but i guess that's what it all boils down to but so uh, if you know about yoga, let me know. I, sh- I don't know anything about it, but I sh- assume it's uh, developed in suburban United States. There you go. I like yoga too, by the way. I, I uh, sometimes will hop on YouTube and watch the and perform yoga moves and exercises, so I'm part of the problem a part of the yoga problem next time I do one of these I'm gonna make sure I got a guest cause this is awkward as hell sitting here talking to myself looking back looking down at my own face and then of course there's like a lag so my face is like my mouth is like so yeah we'll see it this is the end of the Facebook live experiment um so I think I'm going to wrap this up I'm uh 40 minutes into it that seems alright for my first go round. um when it comes to Native America which is what this whole podcast was originally supposed to be about was Native Americans in America and the challenges and uh successes and where we're at um in 2019 20 and beyond there's traditions in native culture that have been cherry-picked also and I'm not not just the uh not just dream catchers but sweat lodges um I don't know man I got stuck there I think if you want to respect and appreciate people or a culture, you need to recognize and confront and uh, disassemble that long harmful system that's been in place. And by the way, I don't think it should be people of color's responsibility to confront racism. We've already done it. I think it's on people to hold each other accountable um, i think that if you want to help um dismantle this system you need to talk to people of color about their problems like i've brought this up with you know before with with indians it's the fact that our teen suicide rates are higher that our murdering uh, murdered and missing indigenous women number numbers are higher that you know alcoholism rates and diabetes rates obesity rates, across the board in so many categories those numbers are higher yeah. in native communities and um, the number of us living below poverty and, which I'm lucky enough to not be one of but I have been many natives are and in uh, and, and even even you know there's still theft of land going on today by the way for these people I mean the uh, people going after tribal lands for you know resources whether it's oil or mineral deposits or what have you that's still going on it just rarely makes the front page anymore Um, if you can talk to a native about this kind of stuff and get their opinion and get their ideas for solutions I think that uh, if you have that conversation I think that's a, a good way to end the cycle of appropriation when you get to know any person of color and get to see their perspective on what it's like to live in this country today i i think that you'll have a greater respect and understanding of where they're coming from and maybe less likely to cherry pick their culture for the good stuff and that would put an end to this uh cultural appropriation thing and uh that's my Jerry Springer final thought like get to know some people of colors go outside of your normal group of people and uh just experience what their life is like or or it maybe not firsthand but at least have a conversation about it and I think that will get us a lot further in this country and there will be less of a division but um I want to add though by the way if there is anybody that's guilty of cultural appropriation, it is me. Uh, I don't know if many of you know this. I'm sure some of you do, but I used to drive around with four Luchador masks on my headrest in my car. I am not Latino. I am not. Um, I'm not Mexican. I don't have any south american blood in me i was in my opinion appropriating mexican or lucha libre culture and i was doing it because i uh you know because i liked the masks and i liked the match so you can maybe say well you're just a fan and you like it so you're showing that you like it but where the line is crossed is if you have ever seen one of my luchador based uh commercial parodies where i wore my mask and donned a horrible mexican accident like hey it's me el guapo like and that's where the line was crossed in my opinion and i wrote a children's book about two luchadors where some of it was in spanish some was in english but i wanted to make sure i had a uh, latino person um i almost wanted a latino person to sign off on it to kind of give me some cred with the latino community and uh Because I was like, I don't know if I should be doing this. So by the way, I actually took those luchador masks down. Because I was feeling so, you know, didn't know if I was doing the right thing by having them there. And uh, I still have them all. I didn't, like, get rid of them. But I kind of thought I was cherry picking from Mexican culture just the stuff that i wanted and leaving the the less uh savory stuff and i also trip on my taste in music and like i was saying i've been a hip-hop fan my whole life Uh, i've recorded hip-hop music and uh, i love hip-hop music and it's a big part of who i am and it's a big part of how i Uh, i mean it it controls a large part of my day i mean if you're if i'm at work i'm mostly listening to hip-hop music or my own podcast because but i've often wondered if i have appropriated hip-hop music or black culture as a result and i used to do a character back in the day when i was walking around recording everything I did. And I used to do this character that was supposed to be this kinda like over the top, annoying kind of wannabe MC or something. I mean, it was a backwards hat and it's like it was like, yeah, you know what I'm saying, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, this is Gino. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna go ahead and do this, show. we're gonna do that. Yo, we're gonna do this and that and those, you know. And uh I was just trying to be funny and but looking back on it that was me kind of taking elements from a culture and getting the cream off the top and not looking at the rest of the culture and, uh, but i was in my 20s and i probably had never even heard of the phrase cultural appropriation then but i just look back and i just like you know like that could uh, that could be taken the wrong way um, even though I would call myself in the hip hop culture it's still iffy to me people may disagree but um, so those are kind of two examples of my own where I have felt like I have crossed the line especially the luchador thing the hip hop thing not as much I mean, I've been listening to hip hop and know enough hip hop that I don't feel like I was an outsider, uh, but more of a connoisseur. But that's about where it ended. I, I then I entered some, but the, okay, all right. This is what I was saying too about hip hop being universal, because it was enjoyed by me, who's this native kid from Oregon and Arizona, and I enjoyed all hip-hop music, and still do, even the guys, the young guys today, uh, I, I like them too, because I like anybody that's just doing their thing, uh, and they've got a, a measure of success from it, like, I am not a hater at all, um, of any rapper, or any, any artist that's had any degree of success, I'm happy for you, but that's that, so, alright, well, I've been going for 50 minutes, I don't know man, I'm not really sure about the Facebook live thing, but uh, that definitely felt uh, much more, uh, uh, what's the word, just on demand, or um, I was, I don't think it turned out the way I would've, I don't think it would've, I don't think it, t- it came out the way it would've if I had just recorded it, you know not live, not on camera, uh, there was this kind of pressure to to keep going, and I just wasn't, I just didn't, but whatever, I got a new one in the books, I tried something new, uh, happy if you, uh, checked it out, you can go listen to this podcast if you would like on Anchor FM, Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts. Uh, Apple Podcast, I should say, uh, Radio Public, a couple places, uh, but yeah, I think it might be a while before I do a live episode until I can get somebody to, to hop on board with me and uh, take some of the burden off my hands. So, uh, alright, thank you for watching or listening. Um... I don't know what my next episode will be or when. Just know that it's going to be uh, better than this one. Thank you very much.